Welcome to the Northwestern Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton. Over the past 20 years, the impact of technology on nearly every aspect of our society has been enormous. The world has changed tremendously, in both good ways and bad. And because of technology, we as humans have instant access to information, communicate more directly and effectively, and can collaborate in real time. The impact of technology goes far beyond us as just individuals and has fundamentally shaped the society and transformed how we do business. While it's not always instantly apparent, the impact of technology on sports has been and will continue to be enormous. That impact can be seen through the play of the athletes and how teams and leagues run their businesses and how we as fans consume and interact with sports. Someone who saw these impacts and how they were shaping sports is our guest today, Taylor Bloom. Taylor is the CEO and co-founder of Sport Techie. Sport Techie uses immersive storytelling and industry-leading events to connect us as consumers to innovators and power brokers who are shaping the future of sports technology. From its inception, Taylor has led Sport Techie's charge to become the definitive global sports technology resource. His position and experience gives him powerful and unique access to the pulse of sports technology innovation. Sport Techie was acquired by Leaders Group, the parent company of Sports Business Journal, in November 2021. The combined entity is the leading source for insights and information for the sports industry leaders and innovators. Taylor has an incredible view of the sports landscape, both current and forward-looking, and how technology will continue to shape that landscape. So we hope that you all enjoy this interview with Taylor Bloom. Taylor, welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for, for taking the time to join us today. Hey, you got it, Bryce. Happy to be here. It's a, it's a real treat for me to be able to talk to you, and we were talking before we started recording of, you know, a lot of our listeners know that I teach a class around the technology of sports. And when I started teaching that class, it's not like it was today, and oftentimes the best place for me to be able to help students understand what we were trying to learn and really what we we're trying to dig into was to point them at what you created. And so can you give us a little bit of background on that and sort of where that came to be and, and how it all, all came together? Yeah, absolutely. It's been quite the journey. I am by no means a tech expert. I have described myself in the past as um, someone who's very curious about technology and its impact on sports. And that was the origin of the little side hustle blog that was Sport Techie that was launched uh, around 2012. And we were curious about all the ways we kept seeing pop up about how technology is kind of changing some ways that athletes are training or that teams and leagues are approaching their venue design or their fan engagement strategies. And we didn't really see a dedicated resource that was covering that day in and day out. And so we're like, Hey, let's just devote our existence to covering some of these stories and learn from it. And frankly, at the time, my whole motivation was just like, can I add this as a couple of bullet points and a resume maybe to help me get a job in the sports industry. I was coming out of school and um, wanted to apply that curiosity to some areas that I thought needed some more uh, illuminating in the sports industry. And, and that was the, the origin. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. We, we ended up having some really fortuitous timing where there was a lot of investment and activity and uh, again, curiosity in the sports industry from teams, leagues, operators, venue owners, um, athletes, and they all wanted to learn how to implement tech to change their performance, change their business. And 
we happen to exist at the right time to, to cover that kind of sea change energy. You're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. If you think of the 10 years, right? And it's amazing to think that it's been 10 years in, in, in that amount of time that you've done that. So much has changed from a technology perspective. And you think of, I mean, just as an example, you know, venues now are, are built with the technology first sort of approach versus some of the other other pieces that, that they used to do around seating and sight lines and, and those things. But you're right. I used it in that exact way. And it, you can really see how those things came together to, to you know, continue to grow and, and, and build what it is today. It, Taylor, what were you doing before you started that side hustle or, or how did it build into that? I was an undergrad at UCLA. Um, I was looking to get a job in somewhere in the sports industry. I wish I had more specifics at the time, but looking back, it was, it was vague. I was just trying to start my career and um, I ended up getting a job at uh, Fox Sports in their digital department in uh, Playa Vista in Los Angeles. And that was a terrific start. I'm really grateful from, for working with a lot of smart people there. And they were really helpful with me being quite green at the time. And, and you know, I worked on some of the uh, websites and mobile apps and digital products that they were putting out to their audience at the time. And, and that was really a terrific education for me to work in that uh, a big digital first, mobile first um, content department at a major uh, sports site and sports publication. And on the side, I was, you know, late nights, early mornings working on sport techie and, and the two really balanced themselves out well, I felt to kind of start my career and, and, and um, you know, pair a bit more the the corporate side with the, the side hustle side. Yeah. And it's really interesting how it's evolved in that way. Do you remember it back to what was the story? Was there a story or was there something like, oh. I should write about this or, or these are things have really come together. There's got to be a space that people want to consume this. Was there like a germ of an idea? Was it, you know, something that, or did it just kind of all uh, waterfall together and like, Oh, there are a lot of things here. We had a couple, um, that's yeah, a good question, Bryce. There, there's a, a number of moments that kind of stand out. There's, there's, um, I think a few particular stories where we're kind of like, this is interesting and is there actual like uh traction here one of them was i, I think it was tony romo was using at the time a company called uh strive vr they're based out of they're started by a stanford um i believe stanford kicker on the football team and he founded that vr company and the whole concept was to um give you mental reps without putting a physical toll on your body and so we started seeing more quarterbacks um, at all levels kind of start to throw on these VR headsets and go through their virtual playbook. And I remember thinking like, that is so bizarre, but interesting at the same time. And it just seemed like such a new thing that um, I wanted to get to the bottom of, of those types of stories, if they were gimmicky or if there was substance there. And that was kind of um, one of the main threads that drove a lot of the content on sport techie. There'd be a lot of, um, early, early experimentations across board like that, like that virtual reality story. We're like, Hey, should we cover this? Is there more here? Um, what would our readers want to know about that we might be curious about? And a lot of it was just trying to attach ourselves to those types of stories where they were really early. We didn't think they were getting the, um, kind of the beat reporter type of mentality coverage, which is how we kind of looked at the sports tech space. Like that was our beat. Anything that hit that particular intersection, as wacky as it may have been, or as early as it may have been, we wanted to cover it and at least try to illuminate it for, for people. So the, there's a number of moments like that. I think of those stories. I think of um, there's this phrase where I remember the, the NBA had put 
missile tracking technology, you know, quote unquote, in their rafters. And that was essentially like the early, the real early stages of kind of like what, um, you know, core vision is and yeah, and stats did. Yeah. And second spectrum. And, and in the early days it was seen as like using this military technology to track the ball and the players on the court. And now it's, you don't even think about it, but 10 years ago, that was really eye opening. And we're, we remember thinking like, what is going on here? What advantage is there revenue wise, performance wise, so those are the types of stories we remember looking at where this kind of raise an eyebrow like, hey, that's what's going on there. That's really interesting. Well, what, what's the, the really cool about that is that coming. So I come from a tech background, right? Yeah, 15 years in, in sort of the technology industry. And those things that are gimmicky are for lack of a better term, right? You see that a lot, right? Oh, passing here and there, right? In sports, the stories and the things that you consume are more tried and true, right? Here's numbers, here's hard metrics, here's how, you know, front office stuff, here's venue related things. But the convergence of those two things is really interesting to see, you know, and, and there's still a lot of that today, right? I literally just had a conversation the other day about the metaverse, right? Is it just a marketing term, right? But what you say now makes me think back to, oh, I remember those things, right? The, the, the early seeds of, of what stats did and, and, you know, all of the, the, you know, motion capture, those tracking things. And it's really interesting if we fast forward 10 years from now, something like the metaverse, right. That I think you, you use that word gimmicky that could sort of jog my, my brain here because I, I feel that way in some ways. And I think that that's really interesting to see back, you know, the coverage of how you started in that and really how it's, you know, that way still. And, and I think there are some of those things that, that can be covered. That's a, that's a good thing to highlight Bryce. And I, I, in response to what you said, I would, I would highlight again, I am not an engineer. I do not have a tech background. I certainly did not have one when I started sport techie. And I think that may have, you know, upon reflecting on the last 10 years, I think that may have really helped us actually, because that, that word I use curiosity, I think that was one of the driving forces for having sport techie grow the way it did. We, we did not come in assuming we knew tech trends or what, what something, when something's gimmicky or not, we came at it from, we're kind of blind and said, Hey, we're curious about this. Let's raise this to our readers. Let's cover this beat and pretend we, or, you know, wasn't really pretending, but understand we don't know too much and kind of just surface interesting stories and let the audience decide if they're gimmicky. Then over time we, we would connect with more and more experts in the space and surface their insights and meshed it all together. And we developed a really um, rich platform for, for people that were looking to complement their understanding of the business side of sports and, and pair that with our coverage of the new technologies in sports, which were inevitably impacting the business side. And you can see that still today. And what I mean by that is the content that you have, and again, I consume a lot of it, is always a is educational, right? In some ways feels collaborative where versus being talked at, I'm going to explain this to you and this is how this works. I think you have such a really good view on the outsider piece. I think that often works really well, right? It's because somebody has that curiosity and isn't built in. You know, it's like the, what's it called? The depth of, of explanation. I mean, humans have this weird perception of that they can explain things like, you know how a toilet works, but if you tell me how to explain how a toilet works, I wouldn't know how to do it, right? It's the same thing with like these types of things. And to come into that with that curiosity, it, it comes out in the content because it is, like I, I mentioned several times, it was a great place, it still is a great place to point students back to to say, here's some place that you can learn something about that. But, you know, interestingly, over that 10 years, it has evolved, uh, you know, 
very, very much in the sense that from, you know, your side hustle. And now there's so many things that you do, not only from the content, but have offshoots, you know, um, that Sport Techie does all, you know, tons of those things. Can you tell us a little bit more about all the different things that, that you guys do there outside of the content that you create. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot. Um, we have the content on sporttechie.com every day, like, like you mentioned, Bryce, but there's conferences and events we do throughout the year, uh, that range from, um, intimate private 20 person dinners to 500 person, thousand person conferences, um, in person now, hopefully, you know, that we're back, um, uh, going to, you know, in-person events, hopefully it's going to stay that way. We had virtual events that were attracting 7,000 people during COVID and the height of it. it, It's, it's really been an interesting, um, thing to see evolve as, as we've grown from just the content on the site, uh, to, you know, having those events, I just mentioned to having a really popular daily newsletter that a lot of industry execs rely on every day. And it's a really quick kind of five minute scan for them in their inbox each morning. Um, we have our paid subscription offering, you know, provides benefits across our events, um, networking benefits, discounts to, um, some of the events I mentioned as well. And, also just kind of unlimited access to our, our content. And that's been really exciting to, to build out those different components of the business that again, all started with, let's just cover this space and have this be our, our, our kind of beat. And we're going to be beat writers and, and cover the space with a good level of curiosity. Um, we've also done some really interesting partnerships with some of the biggest kind of teams and ownership groups out there. We've launched some events with them and um, we've done some really great research work with some other clients in the back. So we're kind of starting to dabble in the consulting realm. And uh, I think there's just a lot of areas where we're going to continue to grow and build on the content on the site, like like you mentioned. One thing that you didn't mention that I loved, and not to be, a, you can tell that I obviously consume a lot of this content. One thing I was of, there's series. You would do series that, that would sort of dig into overall, and that would take you from that curiosity piece that you talked about and dig in several layers, layers deeper. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of the recurring series, which I think was always a really good feature and gives you the ability to dig in, you know, on things like that. But it's cool how still that core DNA is there, right? That beat writer that, hey, we're covering the tech space is still at the core of the business because it it is, you know, really valuable to consume for someone like myself or someone like many of the listeners that are in the sports industry or tangentially touching the sports industry to be able to have a little bit of, you know, a deeper understanding of some of these things because some of them are, again, very technical concepts that you're never going to get completely in the weeds and understand holistically, but to have a knowledge of them is is really important. I agree. And yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the series on, on, on the site. That's definitely a big part of our, our content on sporttechie.com. We, we do a number of recurring series. We love to focus on uh, startups. I've always admired how a tech startup will, um, you know, consider themselves kind of discovered if they get a tech crunch, you know, article or something, they're, they're kind of placed on the map. If they get that tech crunch story. We're very similar in the sports tech space. We get pitched by so many exciting startups regularly throughout the week. Um, so we've built a startup series around that where we try to highlight some really cool founders and, and missions and ventures. Um, we also try to highlight a lot of the startups at our events. Startups are really um, one of the lifebloods of, of sport techies coverage and that beat I've, I've been discussing, Bryce, where there's, you know, over the last 10 years, there's been so many cool companies started, um, um, brought on investment, they've been acquired, they've had some great outcomes, they've, they've changed the game um, no pun intended. And it's, it's been 
really cool to build a lot of our focus around some of these small businesses and startups because it's it's a really really vibrant space. And then one of the other series I, I will highlight um, amongst you know, we have several series that are worth checking out. But one in particular comes to mind is our um, athletes voice series, which has been gone for a couple of years now. We interview all sorts of athletes and their involvement with tech, um, whether it's performance on the investment side, the brand building side, uh, maybe it's a charitable venture they're really excited about. Uh, we love covering that intersection of athletes and tech as well. That's been really interesting. There's been a massive, massive shift there as athletes have taken more control over their, their uh, performance using new technologies, taking control over their individual brands and giving themselves a much larger voice and you know reach into their fan base than before. So there's a lot of really important topics there around startups and, and athletes that we love to cover. And those are a couple of series I'd certainly highlight for the audience here. Yeah, the series ones are, are really great because it does give you that that in-depth content, the recurring sort of piece of it. You know, I, I think that you mentioned that, that, you know, there's the tech and the sports side of it. Do you, it, it's interesting that you bring up and the startup series is a good example of that, but do you find the balance, right? What is, is the balance in this? Is it hard to keep in this? And what I'm getting at is, is it 70% tech, 30% sports? Is it 40% tech? You know, it, I know that's a really kind of a hard question to, to answer, but I guess the, the question is you see yourselves more as sports first with tech underpinning, correct? We're a sports publication, yes, that covers sports through a tech lens. Um, and so I, while I like to think we're kind of in the middle of that spectrum, um, it's funny, you, sh- you should maybe join one of our edit- editorial calls one day. We have this debate constantly and we've learned to trust our instincts. It's a moving target. What you know, is, is new and noteworthy tech that's worthwhile to surface to our audience. It used to be, um, you know, when we started, it was a big deal when a, a team would launch a Twitter account and it was, that would signal that they're very digital forward and they want to interact with their fan in a digital way. And nowadays that's obviously very outdated and just a given that they would have a very strong social media, digital presence um, and a big department internally built out to, function in that space for their fans. Um, so that, that definition is always kind of shifting. Um, and we're, we do our best to identify that and, um, really try to be gatekeepers for our audience and have them come to trust us when, when we cover something, we want them to trust us to know that it's, it's worth their time. It's, it's something that's, um, potentially going to be impactful for their business, or it's a major trend they need to be aware of. You're right. That Technology is, is certainly a moving target at all times, right? The, the continued evolution of it. But sports is that way too in, in a lot of instances and all the things that, you know, go on in sports, where, whether it's from a team level, a league level, and, and so on. But you mentioned a lot of the things that the new and noteworthy as you sort of sit here today and think about it. What are those things that come to, you know, top of mind that, that you and, and your group are working on or focusing on? What are the stories that you think are most prevalent as we sit here in 2022 from a tech perspective and, you know, look forward to how those things are, are integrated into the overall sports world? Hmm. There's, there's so many, it's, 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 it's a really exciting time. I, I, I think the most efficient way for me to try to answer your question, Bryce, is kind of go bucket by bucket. And those are buckets in my mind. First one would be kind of on the athlete performance side. There's a lot of tech solutions that are trying to um, kind of unlock the ROI around injury mitigation management. If you can keep a hundred million dollar player on the, on the field 
two more games out of the year, you know, with a healthy hamstring versus a injured hamstring, like that's worth a lot of money. That's been a big trend for a number of years. I think it's getting better and better. Um, and in general, that wraps into the overall performance side where there's just incredible um, tracking capabilities now, just even out of your smartphone, like tracking used to be, you have to go into a really elaborate lab set up in one specific location and you, you get a finite amount of time there and they do their best to track you. And oftentimes it's really uh, reserved for like elite athletes. Nowadays, that's, that's really trickling down um, to different levels. You don't need as much money. You really see a smartphone and, uh, you know, curiosity to track yourself, improve yourself, measure over time. That that's been a, a really exciting trend where um, a lot of elite, performance tech is now more accessible to athletes of all levels. Um, then on the kind of more going away from the athletes for athlete performance bucket, um, on the kind of fan engagement, live experience side of things. I mean, man, there's, there's so much going on there, especially with COVID. Uh, one of the biggest trends during 2020 and 2021, when we were um, you know, reporting on our, our beat and speaking to a lot of the, the experts we had speak at our conferences, their digital roadmaps or their tech roadmaps were accelerated by three to five years, at least during COVID. Everything is contactless. Everything is digital. Everything is really seamless. Now, if you go to a, a live game, it's, it's, um, all mobile first. It's, it's really simple to get in and out of the venue. You don't have to get a lot of, um, you know, friction to get to your seats. And it's, that's just been a huge focus. While that was talked about a lot pre COVID it was really implemented a lot during COVID. And that's, that's been one of the biggest shifts. Um, and it's exciting. It's coming at a good time. It's, it's great to see full crowds at March madness again, and, and hear that on the, on the broadcast and not see, you know, just hear the shoes squeak in an empty arena. Like, so it's a lot of those digital roadmaps and investments and in technologies by teams and leagues and, uh, broadcasters were and rights holders were really, really accelerated during COVID across the board to really think about how they could um, shift the the live in-person experience. Um, and then probably the last big bucket, I mean, there's always more bucks to discuss, but the one that really comes to mind is the at-home viewing experience. The <laughs> Something needs to give the incredible fragmentation of all the streaming services now. It's really been interesting to watch. I don't have a good sense of where we will be in the next five years with that, but it's something I really want to examine closely and that we're going to apply our you know, focus to. It's, it's a challenge for your average fan to get exactly what they want for, you know, not a lot of money to, to bundle just a, or bundles, not the right word to compare and bring together a lot of different streaming services. Now you have Apple or Amazon in the mix, Twitter, let alone, you know, whatever ESPN plus Disney plus, et cetera, that, that you're already paying for. So there's a lot of, um, I think adjustments that'll need to happen there. You certainly hit a nerve for, for me in that. Obviously I, you know, my day job is, is around uh, a lot of times that direct to consumer streaming space and not only from a cost perspective, but fans don't know where to find it. Right. It's, yeah. it's impossible. And you know, we think back to the beginning of streaming services and, and the promise of severing yourself from the glowing box that sat on top of your TV, you know, that was cable. But have we gotten ourselves into something that's potentially worse, right? In the sense that it's hard to find, it's fragmented. Now, the flip side of that is that more niche content, 
you can have you can get it right if if you are a cricket fan or formula 1 is a great example right to be able to to consume those things but it you're right it's really hard for those fans to find it i think what was really interesting that you mentioned is, is the last two years you know the pandemic the situation we've been in there's been a lot of things but i think that you hit on the right word it's been an accelerant right and the example that you use is perfect of contactless payments have existed for a long time right but that that evolved you know, four to five years of evolution within the span of just a couple months because of sort of necessity inside of that. And, and so have you seen other things that have accelerated there? And I have a reason for this question that kind of tie two of your buckets together. But have you seen any of the big things from an acceleration perspective that, that you think are going to stick around? Yeah, I was, and I was going to add to that, um, certainly sports betting, certainly anything blockchain based. Those are two other major buckets that, that we've been covering a lot and will continue to, uh, I think one of the biggest ones though, is, uh, sustainability and the focus from management and the top levels at teams and leagues and, um, you know, the buy-in there, it's not just, something to appease the Gen Zers anymore. It's seen as an integral part of business strategy and you're going to be left behind if you're not delivering a legitimate, sustainable uh, outlook and strategy for your, your business, your league, your team, your, your, your company. Um, there was a shift. I'm not sure how much COVID contributed to it. I'm not sure if it was just people had a unique chance to kind of pause because maybe some games were canceled or things were delayed and, and, that it just it brought on this reckoning where we're seeing um, such energy around the need to be sustainable, not just a want anymore. Um, so that's definitely an area where we're we're going to stay close to. It's it's a big focus. We have our biggest uh, event of the year um, next month in New York City. It's Sport Techie State of the Industry event, and that's a big chunk of it is sustainability. We haven't necessarily had that focus in years past, and we always kind of tie that event to major trends uh, at that point in the year. And, and it's it's top of mind for the whole industry right now in a way it just hasn't been before. That's really interesting, right? And I think that what you brought up about appeasing younger generations, right? I think the other one that kind of falls into that for me that I've seen, sustainability, but also mental health, right? And I think yes. that we've seen a lot of, and I think about this from my course, you know, a lot of the students are talking about tech-based approaches to athlete mental health. Mm-hmm. And those are the two that, you know, you mentioned sort of teams and leagues and so on looking at that. But part of it was because younger generations had more of a focus on it, but those, and again, I like, like you, I don't know if it was because of the current situation that we're in that has accelerated it. Mental health it could be because everybody been sort of at home, but those throw in with sustainability, that mental health aspect is one that's not just, for lack of a better term, lip service anymore. It really is rolled into the core business strategy of a lot of teams and leagues and so on. And I think that's been paired with um, everything you said, Bryce, but also a performance angle. I think there's a lot of technology and science elements um, and findings that have come out that have supported the you know pursuit of athletes performing at, at higher and higher levels and so so much has previously been focused on the physical capabilities and being stronger and faster and quicker and all those things and, and you can get a lot out of you know great new products and, and tech services these days but there's an unlock there to get to higher levels of performance if your mental health is a part of the training and 
I think that, that, you know, we're seeing big time companies, uh, sports tech companies that have really grown up the last five years. I think of like a whoop or even like a hyper ice, some of these big companies that have started as small startups in the sports tech space. And now they're, they're unicorns. Um, they've embraced that balance between physical performance and, and mental performance. And it, it, the timing is, is really spot on. Yeah. I mean, you know, sort of tying it back to those buckets you were talking about. The one thing I was going to ask you is being, I've always been for some reason, maybe because of my background from a content consumption perspective, but been on sort of the VR bandwagon from the beginning, but in a different way than a lot of people think. I think the training part that you mentioned all the way back to, you know, the things that the, the group from Stanford did, which is still used today, right? And you see it expanding to things like baseball and hockey and, and so on. But I was always thought about it more in the content consumption perspective. And what was really interesting to me was over the last two years where we were more at home, people reticent to go to stadiums or couldn't, I really thought that there would be an acceleration in the consumption of sports content via VR, right? And we didn't see that. And I don't know if it, and, and if you have any insight from the work that, that you all do. From my view, you know, I, I see maybe it's the barrier to entry from a hardware cost or those types of things. But it's really interesting to see how, you know, at the beginning of VR and the promise of it, we thought, well, maybe that's a way to shift the consumption model. It's not going to be in person, but it's not necessarily the TV experience. It could be something in the middle, but it hasn't really turned out that way. That's such a good observation. That was one of our favorite takeaways from a, a, one of our virtual events um, last year. And essentially the, the summer was one of the, the speakers speaking about VR is like, if it's not going to catch on during the pandemic, when we're all living digitally, it's just not going to catch on this generation essentially. And I, I think there's still a lot of promise with it. And I think the promise is kind of coming through a gaming angle and that type of audience is going to adopt it much quicker than, than you or I and the kind of, you know, the, the millennial and older generations. Um, I think the VR, they missed the VR boat, but it's still alive. It's going to take a little longer. And I think the tech definitely does need to improve. Um, it's still, there's got to be some iteration that I, I think is going to come on, come along and really disrupt it where it's not just this huge goggle set that goes on the front of your face. There's going to be something that needs to come along and disrupt that. So it's more of a, um, a seamless integration with your everyday life. You're not as isolated. Um, it, it's, it's a really tricky thing. It's, I remember like, boy, over five years ago at a CES and VR was all the rage and might've been seven or eight years ago at, at a CES, the consumer electronics show in Vegas. And, um, it just wasn't quite there. Just didn't beat still the experience of just watching on your couch at home. But now it's through the gaming lens. These, these whole experiences are being created, not for your average baseball fan or NBA fan, but for a, an immersive gamer, that's where it's, the tech is really advancing quickly. So that's kind of the, and obviously that means it's a bit of a younger audience and they're growing up with it and they're getting used to it. So that's where I would look for it to still kind of be simmering and catch on later. It's a really good point, right? Because sports and the consumption of sports is a lot of times a communal experience, right? But you put on a, a headset, you get pretty isolated. It's funny because I have several of them because of my course and those things. And every time I put one on, my wife inevitably takes pictures of me wearing it and sends it to my friends and family to make fun of me. But that 
is kind of a microcosm of the problem in some ways, right? Because it, it then makes it a singular experience and the experience around it of you just sitting there and watching it yourself takes away from I'm watching this with my friends or I'm having that immersive experience of sports overall. And I think you're right that something has to come along and disrupt that for it to be a viable way to consume, you know, in that communal way. Yep, definitely big area we're watching it seems like it has all the promise in the world but just hasn't quite gained traction for one reason or the other the funny flip side of that though was i remember this too with ar and maybe this had something to do with the early implementations of, of, of augmented reality but i think i think often for like pokemon go right i was like there's no use for this it's a kitschy type thing however i was dead wrong meaning that there are so many really interesting implementations of augmented reality things for fan engagement that you talked about but also analysis and so on i mean you think of stories like the carolina panthers i saw that story a bunch last year with the and actually i think you guys ran a story about it um you know the the engagement that 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 creates and i think part of the reason for that is it's easier to be implemented but we all have our phone with us and can engage with that in a different way and so do you see that do you see ar catching on more more readily than vr I think that makes sense, but I don't know if we've seen it yet where it's, it's actually come to fruition. Um, I think the idea is a good one where it's less isolated than virtual reality. It's more so literally augmenting your, your life. You have something pop up on your desk or pop up around the stadium in the case of the Panthers that you, that you mentioned. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunities there. We're seeing a lot of it in, in retail where you can you can scan a watch or a shirt and you know see how it might fit on you or how it might look in your closet or something you can put things in your in your home or in your yard or something if you want to purchase something from home depot you can you can adjust it and augment your kind of view of how it would look and it's it's starting to influence purchases a little bit in the retail space and that's something i've kind of kept my eye on cuz i i think there's as we've been saying, a lot of opportunity there, but it, you know, that's, that's going to require um, teams and leagues to be really creative. I think that's going to take a couple of iterations of um, management to be hired into those positions and really come in with that mindset and want to experiment and want to spend budget and not just see something like an AR fan engagement uh, strategy as a cost, they'll start to see it as an investment. I don't know when that shift will happen. I think it's probably getting pretty close to having kind of the current people that are in control of budgets for those entities are going to start looking at it like that, but it's it's not going to happen overnight. There's going to be little experiments like, like the Panthers um, you know, that'll ha- trickle out over time. Yeah, it's the growth of like, back to something you said earlier, going from gimmick to you know, sort of that that sphere of, of usefulness, or and and I think you're right. AR is is moving in that direction, but it, it's it will take you know more things like that, like the Panthers, another good that example, and, and the investment that people want to have in it. I think you know as you sort of spin that forward, what are the things that you yourself or or you know everyone at Sportechi that you're covering? Are looking forward to or excited about as we kind of continue to spin it forward from a tech and sports perspective. I'd say definitely a couple of things we we've touched on. Sustainability is a big one. Um, I think we're still wanting to see a game changing blockchain 
application. There's a ton of buzz there. It's definitely worth keeping an eye on um, for all sorts of reasons, whether it's NFTs or you know new disruptions to the ticket sale process and being able to track secondary markets and you know who owns a ticket. But a lot of that's still futuristic talk. And so we're definitely keeping our eye on it. And just in the same way we used to keep our eye on, uh, I don't know, new player tracking technologies or um, you know, new digital media strategies for, for teams, uh, I could definitely see it going in that direction. But right now there's a lot of buzz and we definitely try to sift through uh, a lot of the press releases that we get pitched that are a lot of buzz and not a lot of substance. And, and uh, you know, that's something we put a lot of pride in. Again, to, the choice of what we put in front of our audience is, is, is key to us. Uh, but those are definitely two areas, I'd, I'd say, Bryce. And I think the again, the fragmentation of the, just all the streaming services, th- those are ones I'd, I'd really highlight and say like, there's, there's something's got to break loose here um, for the, for the better in the fan experience. Yeah, I agree on that one. I mean, especially, you know, for so many reasons around the fan, especially too, you know, I was listening to an interview with Mark Cuban recently. He was talking about how his son consumes every Mavericks game, but not the same way that we traditionally think about it. We're sitting down in front of a television and watching it, right? He watches, watch it on TikTok or watch it on Instagram, like how's the highlights, you know, on Instagram. And that speaks to, again, more of that fragmentation of that content and how it's delivered to fans outside of even linear television versus, versus streaming. I mean, you mentioned blockchain. I completely agree with you in the sense that there's so much promise there for so many things to be able to, to disrupt things like ticket sales, right? And to have that, you know, tracking from a secondary market or the ability for teams to potentially then own that holistic ticket experience and then get a cut if somebody sells them on the secondary market and so on. You know, you can't you can't throw a rock and 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 not hit a hit a conversation about NFTs um and and where they're going. But you know, I, I think that that's it's interesting because when I was back in graduate school and it kind of speaks to all the things that you've said, that was the same conversation with social media, right? It was like, what is this going to be? And it, while it's easy right now to write off NFTs as like, man, this is kind of a goofy fad, right? People said the same thing about social media in the early days. Of, well, how could this be used in a sports context? So uh, NFTs is one that I think will be really interesting to see how that that evolves. Yeah. Yeah. And in no way, I, I'd say, no, we are not writing off. No one should write it off, but people should be patient. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think it's going to go up and down, right? There's going to be, there's going to be interesting, you know, implementations of it, especially in maybe things like the, the trading card industry and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but it's going to crater too. People are going to get bored with it. And, and so it'll fluctuate up and down and that, it, you know, the last thing for me, this is actually kind of a personal question in some way, but for me to look back over the time that you've been doing sport tech and all of those things, we asked about spinning it forward, what you're excited about. If you look back are there sort of fundamental technologies or stories that help really shape how sport techie evolved and, and where you are today or ones that, that, you know, you have a really personal relationship to, or thought that the te- technology was really cool to cover. I kind of, yeah, that's a great question. The thing that I think really differentiated us and I don't mean this as a non-answer but I think it was our our relentless coverage of a very unique intersection and so while um you know we've had the pleasure of working with a bunch of great editors bunch of great writers 
Um, I was thrilled when the business evolved to a point where I could actually step away from being the the pseudo editor and, and lead writer and actually hand it off to some professional writers and journalists. And they've, you know, shout out to, you know, Joe Lemire, um, you know, Andrew Cohen, a bunch of people that have been on our team for a long time and covered the space and done a lot of impactful uh, stories and reporting. I think it's the combination of that done over time. Anyone can do um, some really unique stories. Maybe they haven't been covered before, but to do that over a long time and stick to what makes you unique. I think that's, what's differentiated us in my mind. Again, no one covered the intersection of sports and technology with their entire existence. There were certainly great writers out there, um, that maybe worked for like wired or TechCrunch or something that covered some sports stories for their tech publication or vice versa. You know, there are great writers at sports illustrator that wrote tech stories every once in a while, but we did it with our whole existence. I think that is what made us really stand out uh, in my mind and, you know, kind of grow to where we are. And we were fortunate enough to be in a good position to be acquired by sports business journal last November. And that's been exciting. And I don't think that would have happened had we not had, uh, you know, exceptional writers and editors stay true to what makes us unique and differentiated from a lot of other really strong publications out there. Yeah, but I don't think that's a non-answer at all. I think it's actually, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that that's holistically true because it, then it doesn't, there's not a certain thing that, that sort of built it. It, it was the, it was the actual model, the model of saying, this is what, this is what we want to cover and we want to stick to this. And I think that that holds true in the, in the content that you, you know, it, put out on a daily basis and all you've expanded to you mentioned you know the the acquisition and those pieces and i was going to ask sort of as you look forward for sport techie and and those things and the coming together of this uh, what's the future look like for for what you're doing today and how how that evolves yeah so i mean sports business journal they they're kind of the gold standard in the industry if you work in sports um and you want to stay on top of the business you're obviously reading sbj um and actually you know we Honestly, when we started Sport Techie, we said, hey, SBJ exists. They cover business better than anyone. Let's just try to cover tech. And that was part of the calculation we did and finding our, our unique niche. And now that we have the exciting chance to work with them, um, kind of goes back to something I said a few minutes ago, where inevitably everything we cover is actually a business story. It's, it's someone investing in tech, implementing tech um, to enhance their bottom line. And so that's where at the fundamental level, that's what made the acquisition work. And going forward, we're excited to um, you know, get the most out of our entire calendar of conferences and events, all of our, you know, merging our newsroom in a strategic way and making sure we cover the space as robustly as we can. I, I think we're really well positioned to cover the entire future of the sports industry as business and tech really collide and the sports industry is really data-driven, tech-driven. Um, and ultimately we're looking to, you know, build on our core, which is largely North America, but also expand internationally and keep our, our coverage going. There's, there's a ton going on around the world, just in sports tech alone. Um, you know, there's so many really great hotspots, Australia, Israel, Western Europe, Japan. I mean, there's, there's some really cutting edge technology companies out there that are focused on sports and we're, we're excited to have more resources to work with SBJ to, to really kind of cover all those those angles. You're right. It is exciting for someone, you know, and a lot of our listeners that 
not only follow sports, but the business of sports, the technology of sports, uh, all of the convergence of that. It is really exciting to be able to, you know, have those things come together and excited to see what, you know, what that brings. And, you know, while I can sit here and ask you tech questions all day long, you know, I, I think that, that we appreciate all the insights and all the time around these things. But Taylor, can you tell us sort of, you know, you talked, you mentioned the event that's coming up recently or coming up soon in, in New York, but can you tell the listeners about those things and sort of where to find you and all, all that great content that you all create? Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Bryce. Um, definitely check out, it's simple, sporttechie.com, start there. Um, but I, I would definitely highlight our daily newsletter, which is easy, easy to sign up for on the site. That is um, a terrific resource. It's a great way to kind of jump into the busy space of, of sports technology. And we'll give you all the insights you need to know every day there. And then we have a lot of great conferences throughout the year. And the one I've mentioned, and I'll continue to um, mention is, is our state of the industry event. It's in New York. It's at one world trade center. It's an amazing venue. We're going to um, I think really put on a fantastic kind of um, reunion of people getting back together in person. It's our first full in-person event in two years. So that's really exciting. And you know, between the site, the newsletter, and say the industry, we're we're getting um, a lot of good resources out there to all the listeners tuning in today. Well, it, it is a ton of great resources, and, and we all appreciate all the content that that you create and all that all the you know that you have done to push the coverage of that that intersection of, of sports and technology forward. So, Taylor, thank you so much for your time today. No, thank you. I appreciate it. 